1: Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's I am Bruce Feldman, joined as always by my colleague from The Athletic, Stuart Mandel. Very interesting Saturday, some blowouts in the SEC, we'll get to that in a bit. Potentially some history making maybe in the group of five, but Stu, you saw another Oregon game in person, and it was probably well worth the trip, although it wasn't a long trip. What the heck happened in the Pac-12 North yesterday? I'm having pretty good luck. I've been to two college
0: football games this year and they both ended up being the biggest upset of the day and they both somehow involved Oregon. Um, and, and you know, when I, it was obvious to me, like the number three team in the country is coming to my backyard. I should go to that game. But going into it, I was concerned because Alabama, Ole Miss and Cincinnati, Notre Dame are in the same window. And what if this oregon Stanford game is a blowout? But um. It did seem like the kind of game, you know, Pac-12 teams, or they usually stub their toe at some point. I think Tanner McKee is really good. I thought this might be a spot where that could happen. And then we find out Joe Moorhead is is not there. Uh, I hope he's okay. They just said he's being treated for a non-COVID illness. Oregon just continues to get more and more injuries. Um, Oregon should have won this game. They fell behind 17-7 but they came back to go up 24-17. And as I made my way down through the crowd to get to the field with about three, three and a half minutes left, they were basically just bleeding out the clock. And by no means did I think I was going down to watch a game-winning or or game-tying drive by Stanford. But then they got back-to-back false start penalties, so they have to punt it to Stanford. Stanford has to go 87 yards to tie the game. Didn't show anything all day to indicate they could do that. But then you get a targeting call on Kayvon Thibodeau. You get a roughing the passer. Next thing you know, Stanford's across midfield without hardly doing anything. And um, obviously can't get more dramatic than an untimed down and a touchdown to send the game to overtime that Bruce happened. I just happened to be standing in the corner where that pass was thrown. It happened right in front of me. Um, And then, of course, uh, Stanford goes on to win in overtime there were not a lot of people at that game. It was probably, um, less than half full, but the Stanford students were there. They came out and they stormed the field. I did not expect to be in the middle of a field storming after it. So, uh, you know, eventful game, big win for Stanford, just because, I mean, how many times have we talked about recently that what's, what's wrong with Stanford they've fallen so far recently with David Shaw. So that was a, a big win for them. Um, How concerned are you about Oregon in that since the Ohio State game, you know, great performance in that game. Anthony Brown played very well in that game. I just
1: think they've been going in the wrong direction. Yeah, it was definitely looked like a shaky performance from Anthony Brown, Jr., who had played so well in Columbus. As you said, I I can I would not minimize Joe Moorhead not being there. He's hands on with the quarterbacks. He's obviously the play caller. Uh, Not to take anything away from Stanford. I mean, Tanner McKee, three touchdowns, zero picks. That's good. They didn't get, you know, this isn't like the Stanford running game of old, but they do have good receivers. And I think, you know, like, I think the big picture takeaway as much as anything is, and this is where I want to spin it forward a little bit. Let's say, and this is a big hypothetical, but let's say Oregon goes on from here and ends up running the table in the Pac-12, which, let's be honest, UCLA just lost again for the second time. The the rest of the schedule, you know, Oregon State is probably the only thing that resonates on there, and it's not like the pollsters are going to be buzzing about Oregon State. It's like Cal, who looks really bad, UCLA who looked bad yesterday, Colorado who's awful, Washington who looks bad, Washington State who is bad, at Utah. It's not good when your division
0: leaders, one of them – Lost to BYU, and the other one, Oregon State, lost to Purdue.
1: Yeah, I mean, so I mean, like I said, this is not a tough run. Who knows what they'll get in the pa- in the pa- if they do win it. But question for you is, they do have a good win, a really good win in Columbus, which I think will still look good by the end of the year. If somehow they end up twelve and one, and the one loss is without, it's weird because it's it's a kind of a funky scenario where it's not without a star player. It's without the game planner and the play caller. Yeah. Um, would you think just playing out in your head, we'll, we'll dig into Cincinnati right from here. I think, do you think a 12 and one Pac 12 champ with a win on the road at Ohio state would end up leapfrogging Cincinnati if they're undefeated?
0: That will, if, if that's what it ends up coming down to, it will be an absolutely fascinating scenario. I don't know. I think I will say coming into the season and we talked about this. we would get mailbag questions about it. And it just when you when you tried to conceptualize Cincinnati making the playoff, it felt like just everything, everything would have to go right. The stars would have to align. But now that we're here and they just beat a top 10 Notre Dame team on the road, it actually seems pretty realistic. Um, now we'll see if they start to fall out of sight, out of mind. Uh, when they're playing AAC teams. The thing I would say about Oregon is it's a, it's an annual tradition that when a team loses, everybody declares them done. If you, if you really think about it, they lost in overtime on the road to a conference opponent that my guess is will end up going like seven and five. And like you said, there were some extenuating circumstances. My guess is the committee would not really hold that against them. So maybe it comes down to come December which win looks better at Ohio state or at Notre Dame, which of those teams will be. I'll be surprised if it's not at Ohio state. Yeah, I would think so too. Like I think having that win on their the- resume will be, could be the difference maker. That being said, Oregon is, is there was a lot of, there was a lot of injuries in that game. Uh, Stanford lost their top receiver, Bryce and Tremaine probably for the season and Oregon lost CJ Verdell. Uh, Mario Chris Walsh afterward, a significant injury. C.J. Verdell is such an important part of that offense. I know they still have Travis Dye, but, you know, this is on top of, of just a lot of mounting injuries they've had. I know you just said the Pac-12 is is pretty bad and manageable, um, but I, I don't know if Oregon can run the table. If they do, I think, I'm not going to say they'll definitely make the playoff, but I still think they'd they'd have a great shot. I just don't know if they can do it.
1: Yeah, I I'm with you on that. I mean, I, I totally like they've been sputtering, right? And we'll see if the defense gets tougher. And you know, like obviously Flo's not coming back, Kayvon Thibodeau after he does you know, if he misses a half of a game, what what he looks like going forward, if he can become more of a dominant force. But I think they have they have a lot of questions. I think you know, from a Cincinnati perspective. Notre Dame does like you watch them and they're really shaky on offense. They don't run the ball very well. They have three quarterbacks. It looks like Drew Pine is the best option, but it's like, eh, you know, they, they, they did not look very, they have not looked very good at any point, except they found ways to win. Now maybe they'll, they'll sputter along the way and keep it, a, keep it on track and go 11 and one. I think what, what hurts Cincinnati is UCF, which has been a power of late in the AAC, they're now two and two. Uh, the one team that I think gives them a chance to be maybe a top 15 win is SMU, who's still undefeated. Right. SMU has to play at Cincinnati in late November. So that would be something at least for them. But the one thing when you said everything has to break right for them, one thing that's not breaking right for them is Indiana is going to look like one of the old Indiana teams that they're going to be very lucky if they make it to a bowl game. They're 2 and 3. They're 2 and 3 and this is what they have coming up. Michigan State, Ohio State at Michigan. Like uh, those are three of the next four games. So, it's not a stretch to think they're going to be lucky to be a bowl game. They're not going to be a ranked team. I think that is going to hurt because you're going to look at the schedule and go, "Okay, is there a one loss Big 12 champ? Is there a one loss Pac 12 champ? Is there a, you know, like you feel like this is the year there's going to be two SEC teams going in. I don't feel very confident that there's going to be one anything from the ACC. So it's like, okay, what's left here? Big 10, Pac 12, eh, and then certainly Big 12. It's an interesting you know, as we sit here in the first couple of days of October. I think it will
0: be, Wouldn't it, I mean, it just, it just would be such a thing if it comes down to like, and don't forget, BYU is undefeated too. If, mm-hmm. if either or both of those teams are fighting for the last playoff spot with somebody from the conference they're about to join, um, which is quite possible. Here's the thing with Cincinnati, though. We can sit here and, and analyze the schedule all we want, As we know, the selection committee basically just makes up whatever criteria they want to justify a team making it. And it's very subjective. And preseason rankings are definitely in the back of their head. They know Cincinnati, where Cincinnati started the season. Um, You know, we talk oftentimes with a group of five teams, you have to do it twice in a row. Uh, You know, you can't just come out of nowhere. But if you do it two years in a row, you build credibility. I would just say, who out there? After Alabama and Georgia, who out there is definitely, definitely better than Cincinnati? It's, it's a, it, there's a reason we're seeing all these upsets. It's a very um, underwhelming field outside of those two. I think Iowa has, absolutely deserves worth the ranking they have and Penn State as well. I don't, if, if they were playing Cincinnati tomorrow, I would definitely give Cincinnati a chance to win. So my point is there is still the eye test, there is still the, do we think this is one of the four best teams and uh, there's a lot to like about Cincinnati. They are as advertised. Desmond Ritter played, I thought, um, you know, given the spot, given the the pressure on them played very well against a really good uh, Notre Dame defense. And then of course, Cincinnati's own defense, um, say what you will about Notre Dame's offensive line and their quarterbacks and whatnot. uh, You know, that's what Luke Fickle's teams are known for, and they're and they're delivering it. So if they are on a 13-0 team with that win on at Notre Dame and then theoretically beating, like you said, an SMU team that might be top 15 or so, um, they're going to have a really solid case. I don't think it's going to be like UCF where they're just completely
1: disregarded. No, I agree. I think, as you said, it's not just Desmond Ritter. They have a lot of speed on defense. They're a physical team. I think Fickle and that staff have done a really good job building it. Um, I'm glad you mentioned BYU, by the way. So they are, you know, they have three wins over Pac-12 opponents. One of them, Arizona State now, is going to look like a better and better win. They get Baylor on the road in a couple of weeks. They got Boise. Um, that's, not, that's not a great Boise team. Uh, and then they have UVA and at USC like I actually think they have a tougher schedule to, like a little more than than what Cincinnati has yep uh, remaining not what you know they don't have, they're not going to have a win I don't think as good as Notre Dame but look if Notre Dame goes 9 and 3 and Arizona State is a, is 11 and 1 or 10 and 2 then it might be different and it's weird when it get, becomes this odd beauty contest like I would definitely have Cincinnati ahead of BYU but I do feel like like BYU needs to be kind of attached to the conversation at this point.
0: Yeah. I think maybe because people didn't expect them to be this good this year, that, that we're, or, or it's either that or the fact that going three and zero against the PAC 12 probably doesn't get you the credit that it normally would, but you know, ASU, uh, that was a big one for them that they turned, that they beat UCLA. Um, and now seem like they'll be in the mix for the PAC 12 South title. Uh, I think BYU, if they continue to win, will become part of the conversation. But, again, it's that – and I'm not saying this is fair or right. It's just the way it is in college football. Cincinnati started with more hype. They started higher in the rankings. I think it would surprise me if BYU leapfrog them. Leapfrog them. Now, if Cincinnati loses at some point, they're out of the conversation. Uh, and then, you know, they move up because of that. But you know, they're probably – you know, if you go by the order of, of likelihood, you know, they're probably behind the obviously the Big Ten champ, the Big 12 champ, if it's one loss. Um, I, I wasn't sure. Um, like, I wasn't sure whether the Big 12 would have a playoff team, given the way Oklahoma and Iowa State started. But as we go into this coming weekend, suddenly Red River feels like a really big game. Um, you know, OU definitely played better. Spencer Rattler definitely played better against K-State. And then Oklahoma State is just kind of hanging there, like nobody wants to take them seriously. But they're five and zero with a really good defense. All of this is the way
1: of saying, like, yeah, I could see a Big Twelve team making a playoff. Let's talk about one of the most intriguing games going into yesterday, which turned out to be a, a one-sided beatdown, and that was Lane Kiffin taking his team into Tuscaloosa. The day had a weird, it got off in a weird fashion. I don't know if you got a chance to see the, uh, his interview with the sideline reporter. Oh, James I did. Before, and it was just like, oh God, you know, it was just kind of, th- those are awkward moments anyway, right before kickoff. But it was just kind of like a drop the mic moment of r- get your popcorn. And he was kind of mocked for it by halftime, even by CBS. Here's um, what I want to
0: know. How did the mascot, Big Al, by the second half, he was wearing a popcorn. A, pop- popcorn do they just happen to have a popcorn prop sitting around or did somebody like make that in the first half after Kiffin said that?
1: Well, maybe Greg Burns, people work fast. like, <laughs> right. This is a, this is going to be a good bit that we're going to put on. I can get, how, get Nicole uh, Auer back on this. This is, this is her thing. She finds stuff like this out. I can get how CBS kind of scrambled and go, Hey, we're going to order a bunch of boxes of popcorn to, to play it up at halftime. But like, I think if if you watch the game after the first drive, you're like, Oh man, this is going to get, get ugly fast. And it just look that, that team got the ball run down their throat. I think this was, this was a case of, we really hadn't seen Ole Miss play anybody, you know? And that was, that was an issue and they got on a big stage and they got whooped. Um, I don't know, like that looked like dominant old Alabama, where, you know, it wasn't that long ago after the Florida game, people were talking about how they were vulnerable. They definitely didn't look vulnerable this time.
0: I think that out Al- that Nick Saban, you know, we always joke like, oh, I bet he spent the past. He had us he had analysts assigned to, you know, study that they definitely seemed like they came out with a good plan, which was they were going to limit how many possessions Ole Miss got. Even though we think of Alabama now, Bryce Young, John Mechie, all those guys, they were going to run the ball like they used to, like they did in the you know 2009 era, and limit Ole Miss possessions. But even Ole Miss, um, you know, didn't get to do what they usually want to on offense. I know Lane getting a lot of flack for all those fourth down calls. Um, I think it just shows that that Alabama, like we thought coming into the season was going to have a better defense. Will Anderson, is there a better defensive player in America than Will Anderson?
1: Maybe, maybe Notre Dame safety, maybe, Um, maybe Aiden Hutchinson, but it's maybe Jordan Davis. Yeah. um, But I
0: mean, my, my point is he, he's everywhere. Um, And they've kind of used to always have a guy like that on Alabama's defense, but I feel like they've kind of been missing it the last couple of years. So um now narratives change in a hurry in college football wasn't it two weeks ago that oh they Alabama's beatable they almost lost to Florida Florida last night scored 13 points and lost to Kentucky um but as I said at the time I just think that it is very hard to win on the road in in a really loud stadium like Florida was and they got the win and I don't I didn't look at that as like some indictment of Alabama and this game was more of a, uh, Oh, aha. They are. Yeah. They're still Alabama.
1: I also think it was kind of a little bit of a referendum on where we are with Ole Miss. Like I think, you know, Lane Kiffin owns social media more than any other college football coach. And he's got an interesting offense and it's, it's entertaining. He's got a really talented quarterback. But the reality of it is they were five and five last year and they lost to a bad Ole Miss team. I mean, sorry, they lost to a bad LSU team last year. Um, I think people got over their skis on, on this. And I look, I was guilty of it too. I thought that there was a chance they could win this game and I'm not saying they're all of a sudden going to turn around and become a, you know, a a six and six team this year. But I just, you know, like even there was people going, oh, USC should hire Lane Kiffin back. Well, first of all, they they fired him and there was all (laughs) sorts of issues around it when they had him. But on top of it, it's like, wait a minute. The guy was five and five last year. Can we can he, you know, go win, go become a a legit top 10 team for a year before in the SEC before everyone's just kind of, you know, tumbling over themselves to kind of anoint him? And this team, and it's like I said, I think they're, I think they're a really good offensive team, but I don't know, you know, maybe they'll, you know, they'll probably be a top 25 team, but the idea of like all of a sudden now they're going to be, you know, it's going to be them right there with Alabama and Georgia. I don't know. The odds makers were smarter than the, than a lot of us were. Well, uh, and same with Arkansas. Uh, We were all in love with Arkansas after the last couple of weeks. And then can I jump in on that quick on that still? I think the difference with Arkansas, though, is they just came off like a big win for them. Now, look, Texas A&M does not look like world beaters now, but they, like, whipped Texas. I mean, that was not, like, a close game. They they whipped Texas. Like, at least they've shown some things against against better competition. Ole Miss hadn't done that. True. You know, Tulane. They played three games. It was Tulane, Austin P, and a pretty mediocre Louisville team. Like, that's not, you know, like, that's not exactly... Anyone who's going to be anywhere near the top twenty-five, so I think
0: I still think Ole Miss will turn around and go like nine and three or ten and two. You know,
1: they got whipped by
0: Alabama. A lot of people are going to get whipped by Alabama. Um, not a lot of teams in the SEC are equipped to uh, do what Alabama did in terms of of you know
1: dominating no, that attack. game. That game could have been sixty to fourteen if if Nick Saban really wanted it to be, right.
0: I still think they'll, they'll, they'll go turn around and have a great season in part because some of the teams you thought in the sec West might be really good, uh, are unraveling in front of our eyes, Texas a and I think what last week we, we tried to predict our sec West standings and, uh, well, I we both had Texas A&M what fifth or sixth,
1: right? Now I think I have them seventh because they just lost to the team. I had seventh. Yeah. And they lost at home to them and. You know, here it is. I, th- I think you and I talked about this offline. Jimbo Fisher's record going into the weekend for those first 40 games at AM was the exact same record as Kevin Sumlin's. Also, it was actually worse against ranked teams than Sumlin's. And that was before they lost at home to a pretty average Mississippi State team. Interesting uh,
0: subplot so you have going on now. Texas a m gave Jimbo another raise and a big contract extension for the season. And it was like, what are you doing? You know, you're negotiating against yourself. But there was some sentiment that, hey, this is a this is a defensive move in case LSU, in case Ed Ogeron has another bad season, and, and his old him, boss Scott Woodward, his old, going old to try boss, might come after Jimbo. Bring him back. Well, guess what? Ed Ogeron is definitely inching closer and closer to the hot seat. But I'm not sure that Jimbo would be the one you you'd call now. Uh, because I think they're gonna they could end up going like six and six or something. I, I mean, maybe uh um <laughs> Haynes, I forgot the name of their original quarterback. Haynes King. It, the Haynes King comes back and suddenly they're much better, but I don't know. I mean, I think you've got issues with the offensive line as well. They're uh, by the way, they've lost two in a row and
1: now they play Alabama next.
0: Oof. By the way, do you think how bad of a mulligan with CBS like? CBS gets one primetime SEC game a year. It's usually LSU-Alabama. I think they used it on Georgia Notre Dame a couple of years ago. They used it on alabama AM thinking that was going to be like a top-five showdown. And now, I mean, that I, that game will be over
1: by halftime. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's good luck for Zach Calzada against this, against this team. Um, so let's talk about LSU. Um, yeah, I want to say that this yeah. is – to me, interesting, because I, I, uh, I think what you have right now is every week is going to be sort of a referendum on is Ed Ogeron, how hot is his seat? And right. I think it's definitely a case where, yes, they're less than two years removed from a national title. They went 5-5 five and five last year. They start off the year losing at, at UCLA. They had a decent win at Mississippi State, but the reality is their offensive line is not good, and they cannot run the football. And he's breaking in two new coordinators, one on offense and one on defense. And they lost to Auburn. I am not surprised at all. I picked them to lose to Auburn last night. And now they play Kentucky, who's five and zero on the road. Then they play Florida, who albeit has lost two, but still Florida's talented, at Ole Miss, at Alabama, then Arkansas, then ULM, which is, you know, a gimme, you know, which is a gimme, and then AM. I mean, right now as it stands, I think that's you know, pretty much five of the six are ranked opponents and they're going to be pretty highly ranked. Um, I had thought that if he's seven and five, he's probably safe. And if he was eight and four, he was safe. I don't know about that at this point. Now it's going to be the buyout's going to be $20 million or so. That's a lot of money, but Ellis, you can have it. The question to me is, like, I won a national title two years ago if it's not Jimbo Fisher is uh, Scott Woodward, like who is, you know, he's the one who was able to hire Chris Peterson to Washington and also get Jimbo out of Florida state is, is Billy Napier like a sexier, sexy enough name for him. If he goes that route, like this is a big job and it's a really attractive job. If it comes open, I'm curious to see who those guys are that they end up looking at. If it comes to that. Yeah.
0: I mean, if, I would think you don't make that move unless you know you're going to be able to get a big name, at least if you're Scott Woodward, like are you going to spend $20 million to fire a a national championship coach? There are only five national championship coaches in the sport. You're going to fire that guy. And then without necessarily an obvious plan B Um, look, sec is ruthless. It's cutthroat. You don't get a, you know, a lifetime pass just because you won the national title. I think, where what's what's really happening with Ojeron, where maybe this backlash is happening pretty quickly. Well, two things. One, there are the people who never thought he was that great a coach to begin with. And There's now they feel like that. this is validating that. Um, it's because you know how did he win the national title? Obviously, Joe Burrow was a big big part of it, the most important part of it, but he got so much acclaim for the Joe Brady hire. And and his hires since then have not gone so well. Um, you know, Brody Miller's story off the LSU game, uh, after off the LSU-Auburn game, and talked about their very underwhelming run game, basically said that after the first, you know, he hires a new OC, and then after the first game against UCLA, he wants to scrap their rushing attack completely. So there's this, he's not inspiring confidence with the way he's managed to the staff since that great 2019 season.
1: Um, I think... A couple of things to, that are that are legit to point out, though, you know, yeah, Joe Burrow is an all-time great quarterback. Um, but you know, Urban Meyer didn't even make Joe Joe Burrow his starting quarterback. He took Dwayne Haskins, who had a really good year Urban at Urban Meyer, not really known for his decision making the last couple of years. Do you want to get into this No. no. <laughs> okay, um, just saying, just saying, he's made some questionable decisions. Okay um pivoting from that but but as as i said so i think there was a lot of factors that went in you had a great group of receivers you had a terrific running back who fit joe brady was the guy he went like it's like you got to give him if you're going to say oh well it was only because of these guys he was the one who found and got joe burrow he was the one who found and got joe brady the, the hire of bo pelini was dreadful the hire of um his other, you know, pass game quarter, I'm even blanking on, I want to, I want to call him Scott Woodward, but that's the ID um, was not good. These two hires, they're in it. They're unproven guys. Like the Durante Jones DC hire, I think is, is, has been okay to this point. The issue up with Jake Pete's is he's really learning on the fly and he doesn't have a good offensive line. And by the way, they had to fire the offensive line coach for an NCAA issue after spring ball. So you have, an offensive line, which, by the way, has experience. That's the thing about it. Like, a lot of the offensive line has played a lot. So I think you have that. But you, you, you do see some some Gene Chizik comparisons, which I think are totally off base. Yes, Gene Chiswick won a national title. But Gene Chizik, af, beyond, beyond the national title here, they ne- he never had a winning season in the SEC or even finished in the top 25. Ogeron ha- had a top six season when they, you know, beyond winning the national title. And he's never had a losing as bad as last year was. They didn't have a losing season in the SEC play, you know. So it's like, I think that part is a little off. But it's LSU. You're going to have sky high expectations, and I think you know he has to know that. The question is, you know, if he's seven and five, do you think they should make a coaching change? I, I can't say
0: they should make a coaching change because of what we just said before. There's not like you know, there's not uh, somebody you have to go get, you, you know, there's not somebody waiting in the wings that you have to go get. I do think he deserves some some leeway because of everything you just said. Uh, and so it makes you wonder if, like when Gene Chizik got fired, you know, the Gene Chizik comparison, they went 0-8 in the SEC. <laughs> there's no coming back from that, right? If, if this ends up being like an 8-4 and four kind of season, is that really all that disastrous? I'm saying that and I'm also saying like he's made some questionable hires. He hasn't necessarily inspired a lot of confidence the last couple of years. Uh, But I don't think we're yet in 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 nightmare scenario kind of situation here. Uh, It's just after the high they reached in 2019, this seemed eight and seven. They've gone eight and seven since then. It seems like a big drop.
1: Yeah. I mean, look, in the last seven games, he's actually he's five and two. That includes wins over Ole Miss and Florida and in Starkville. You know, I think I think what the issue is, look, full disclosure, I wrote a book with him. So it's like, you know, I will I will own that right there. But I think the issue is it's an uphill climb for him when you look at what they have. It's, as I said, five and oh, Kentucky on the road, Florida, visit Ole Miss, visit Tuscaloosa, then host Arkansas like. I think it's the it's that part of it, you know. Like if they get to seven and five, I don't see how you how you can fire somebody who won a national title two years earlier, and then you fire them if they go seven and five in year two. Um, but it's not like it was like, oh, this is a guy who's been nine and three, nine and three, and then all of a sudden had two down years off that. I mean, there was a national title run in there, but if he's five and seven, then I then I I would expect him big trouble. Yeah. Yeah. This Auburn
0: game. That's why this was a bad loss. This was, you know, you look at the schedule and this was one of the more winnable games and they should have won that game. Uh, You know, Bo Nix gets benched one week, comes back in, saves the day for Auburn. Uh, But again, this is a game they were winning. um, Trying to remember 10, nothing was it 13, nothing. This is a game they were winning 13, nothing and couldn't pull out um the first time Auburn has won in Baton Rouge since 1999 there's a obviously a a, a huge win for for Brian Harsin and for Bo Nix uh but yeah that's one LSU needed to win and um and we'll see from here I mean can they can they get their running game figured out I mean that's that's the biggest thing to me I still think they have a really good defense I Max Johnson isn't lighting the world on
1: fire, but I think he's pretty good, but you got to be able to run the ball at least somewhat. They have a, they do have really good receivers. Um, you know, Max Johnson missed some open receivers. I think that really hurt down the stretch. I do think he's a good young quarterback though. I know you mentioned this in passing, but Mark Stoops has done a tremendous job at Kentucky. They got a really good win over Florida. Um, you know, you saw them just like, he's got a good defense. It wasn't like a dominant performance by any stretch, but I think they've, they've beaten Florida now a couple of times once in Gainesville now in Lexington, they're five and I think I would imagine they will be favored with LSU having to go there. Um, You know, like I don't think he gets enough credit for what he has done there. You and I have talked about him, you know, a decent amount and, He's got a really good eye for talent. He's developed players. I think the players have bought in. He's adjusted his offense now with with Liam Cohen coming from the NFL. And, you know, Will Levis can do some things. I thought Wondell Robinson was a great addition for them Mm -hmm. coming back home. Um, They're a really, really interesting team. I don't mean how for real do you think they are? Um, I mean, I (laughs) think.
0: I don't want to rain on their parade. I think that it's, it's you know, this is a huge, huge win for them. First time beating Florida at home since 86. And this is basically, this this last four or five years of Kentucky football is about as as good as they've ever had it. And I think Mark Stoops has that program in a great shape. Um, but they won this game being outgained. As Dan Mullen was quick to point out in his press conference, asked if he had been outcoached and, and being very adamant that he hadn't been. They got outgained by a ton in this game. They had a field goal block for a touchdown and Florida had 15 penalties. So it wasn't like Kentucky went out there and and definitively showed that they're a much better team than Florida. They just did what they had to do to win. And that's great for them. But, um, you know, I think the SEC East after Georgia is obviously a pretty big drop off. I would imagine either Florida or Kentucky will finish second. um, And now Kentucky has a leg up in that. By the way, remember last year we gave Dan Mullen a lot of crap for post game comments he made after the Texas A and M game. I feel like he goes into these post game press conferences when he loses, with just this weird knack for saying the 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 dumb dumb isn't necessarily the word for it, but like like really you're gonna brag about having outgained the other team after you just
1: lost. And it, um, it's it's almost it's almost every loss. I mean, remember it was like against the in the LSU loss that they had in the swamp, a game they never should have lost. And then it was when they got they got whooped by Oklahoma. It's like in the bowl game, you know. Like I think he's a really good game day coach, um, but at the same time, it's like if you're a Florida fan, it's weird because there's a little bit of Charlie Weiss in this aspect. Charlie Weiss's biggest game at Notre Dame was a loss. It was the Bush-Push game where they were really competitive. And I feel like for some degree, that's Dan Mullen where the two best things he's done were they gave Alabama a scare last year and they gave him a scare this year. If you look at what he's done again in the last six games against power five opponents, they're one in five. Yeah, I was wanted to bring that up when you were rattling off
0: some of Ogeron's numbers. Like, we're talking about firing at Ogeron. And yet, you, like you just said, Dan Mullen is has lost five of his last six games against Power Five teams. He got a lot of credit, like you said, for kind of moral victories against Alabama. But I mean, at the end of the day, they're one and two in the SEC. They're basically, I mean, they're out. They're not going to win the SEC East. You know, we'll see if they can still give Georgia a game. And, and I do think that'll be Georgia's toughest game down the stretch. But I mean... This, this season is is already almost a lost season for him. So, uh, th- th- you know, I just said that that this is a recurring theme on this podcast. Oregon should have beat Stanford and blew it. LSU should have beat Auburn and blew it. And, and Florida should have beaten Kentucky last night. Uh, but you're not going to win a game with 15 penalties and a blocked field goal for a
1: touchdown. Um, uh, I want to ask you, we talked some hot seats. Yeah, I want to ask you now about somebody who I know you've talked a lot about and taken some shots at, and probably some of them deservedly so. You know where I'm going with this, don't you? Harbaugh. Yes. I was just
0: looking at the coaches poll. It just came out. And lo and behold, there they are, back-to-back,
1: Ohio State number seven, Michigan number eight. So you watch the game, like – they put it on Wisconsin. Now, Wisconsin's really bad on offense. But yeah, I mean, this is like the third different team that's gotten
0: cre- big credit for beating Wisconsin. And what it, it may turn out that Wisconsin goes five and
1: seven. Well, you're just not going to give Jim Harbaugh any love at all.
0: No, I mean, I think I you give them credit. They lose. look so here. I'll here. I'll here's what I'll say you know, coming off last season, and it was an abbreviated season, but they just looked so bad. They were, I think they went two and four, and only uh, two and four. They probably would have gone two and seven if those last three games, or maybe three and six. It and just felt, and, and he had to take a pay cut. It just felt like you're delaying the inevitable here. This program is on is, is in terrible shape. I mean, they've he's done a great job kind of reinventing it, hiring a staff that obviously, they, I mean, their defense had gotten so bad under Don Brown, they look great. Their offense is it just has a different feel to it where you have a little, you have a lot more confidence um, that there, but you know, I don't know what you want me to say here. You want me to say that I think they can beat Ohio state. Cause I don't. Okay. Do you think, look, if they're a 10 and two team and those, Which is, that's definitely, in, it, it, that's definitely a, uh, I feel like the big 10 East, you've got four teams, Ohio state, Michigan, Penn state. Ohio state, Penn state, Michigan, Michigan state that are all ranked in the top 15. And I think they could all beat each other. You know, we'll see how this kind of round robin goes now if Ohio state who, who just crushed Rutgers gets their defense in, in, if, if, if it turns out their defense is actually going to be pretty good, then I think they, they win the conference, but cause they're just more talented than the other teams. But right now, you know, I don't. I don't know who's going to win the Penn State Ohio State game. I don't know who's going to win the Michigan Michigan State game. It's going to be fascinating to watch all that play out.
1: It will be the Big Ten, especially, is interesting. I mean, I know you and I talked some about Iowa. Um, man, Phil Parker's your leader for the first month of the season on the Broyles front. By the way,
0: Iowa. <laughs> I've never gotten an upset special more wrong than that one. Um, They did not lose to Maryland. They destroyed Maryland. And it's just amazing to see a team. They just interceptions are their thing, right? They had six interceptions the other night. They had the two pick sixes against Indiana. It's just been a recurring theme. Iowa is, has now won 11 games in a row going back to last season. This, this feels to me you remember in 2015 when they went undefeated in the regular season, but it felt a little bit smoke and mirrors and it ended up getting exposed in the Rose bowl. This doesn't feel like that. I mean, this feels like a a really good team in all phases. What's interesting is you've got number three, Iowa hosting number four Penn state in a huge game this weekend. I have no problem with Iowa being ranked number three based off of what they did, what they've done. But after watching Georgia humiliate Arkansas, you know, I think there's two teams that are head and shoulders above everybody else. If Georgia or Alabama were playing Iowa tomorrow, what would the spread be? 17. Something like that. And again, not saying Iowa doesn't deserve to be ranked number three. Um, not saying Penn State doesn't deserve to be number four. They, those teams both have great defenses, several big wins. Um, it just feels like we're heading toward, you know, every so often you get a season like this, the year L- LSU and Alabama seemed like they were a cut above the year. Well, you go back to 06 and Ohio state and Michigan were one, two all year, uh, where you only feel like you don't need like that. a 14 playoff where you don't feel like you need a 14 playoff. Now I'm saying that five weeks into the season teams get better. Ohio state could get a lot better. Oklahoma uh, looked a little bit more like themselves. Uh, So maybe it doesn't feel that way by the end of the season. But, man, I mean,
1: let's talk about Georgia for a second. Somehow we talked about Kentucky before Georgia. Let's talk about Pat Mahomes for a second. I think he just threw a bowling pass on a shovel to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I'm just like, like almost just cursed out loud. Like, I don't know if I've ever seen something like this. I will wait for it to pop up in my Twitter feed. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, um, carry on. Let's keep going. <laughs> so, by the way, good win for Texas Tech and his alma mater. I did not expect <laughs> them to beat West Virginia. Do you feel like Georgia
0: has, has finally become, you know, for years now, they've been the team that has all the four and five stars, but still somehow ended up a little bit underwhelming? I mean, they did to they did to Arkansas what Alabama has done to teams for a lot of years. It just feels like suddenly, not suddenly, but after four years of number one recruiting class, number two recruiting class, et cetera, et cetera. They now just have this all star team. And even without JT Daniels as quarterback, even with Stetson Bennett back at quarterback, didn't matter.
1: Arkansas never had a chance. Yeah, I mean, the front seven they have is so nasty. Um, just watching it like I was watching in our green room with with uh, Coach Peterson, and just like you're watching it. Here's you know Jordan Davis is like you know we talked a little bit about like eh, there's some Vita Vea ish stuff where you have this just gigantic man who moves really well and is incredibly powerful. And then you got Devonte Wyatt. He was like one of my top five freaks guys who's 305 pounds and runs 4 8. And then you got Nicobe Dean who's going at a different speed than everybody else. It's just like – and then you got – you know, it's just – it's a ridiculous amount of talent they have in the front seven. Um, yeah, like I'm – it's the defense that Kirby Smart has amassed there. Like I don't know how good – the the offense is good. I don't know how good it is, you know, like – but um, man, good luck to somebody who, who thinks they can – really run the ball against that defense and their quarterbacks probably going to take a pounding in the process. I remember last year when Nick Saban said
0: the thing about, you know, you can't win that defense doesn't win championships anymore. Offense does. And they'd ask Kirby smart about that. And he was, uh, he was a little resistant to that. And this does feel like, I mean, he's been building toward this. This feels like a vintage Alabama team where, like you said, I don't know that they're going to have a Heisman. They're not going to have a Heisman winning quarterback. They did run the ball at will on Arkansas. But with that defense, you know, if they do eventually play Alabama, and I assume they will, I don't think Alabama's going to put 40 points on them by any means. I want to mention one quick thing. You know, we both love uh, EJ Borghetti, the, the longtime SID at Pitt. Nicest guy. Well, I think one time you told me he was the nicest guy. <laughs> Yes, he is. He is the Jenny Taft of SIDs. There He's you like go. the
1: nicest person anybody's ever met.
0: So uh, I don't remember where I was yet in the day, but I get a text from him. Uh, Kenny, Pickett Keisha,
1: three, yeah, yeah.
0: Kenny Pickett has now thrown 14 touchdown passes over his last three games. That breaks Dan Marino's record for most TD passes in a three-game stretch when he threw 13 during the 81 season. It actually ended up getting up to 15. I know we mocked Pitt when they lost to Western Michigan. But somehow Kenny Pickett, who, if you had told me before the season that he was even being looked at by the NFL, I would have said, right, why?
1: Is, I would, you know you what? what? I'm going to take issue with that. For three years, I've had Brady Quinn in my ear talking up Kenny Pickett. Really? Yeah. Like, there are, there are quarterback people who really, I don't know. He's if making him. himself a lot of money. Really him. Him.
0: He is number two in the country in passing efficiency behind Grayson McCall. 72% completion, 1,731 yards, 19 TDs, one interception. We are starting our Heisman straw poll this week. Matt Fortuna is collecting our votes. Is Kenny Pickett on
1: your Heisman ballot? Of the top three, no. No, because at this point, look, I would, might have Bijan. I got to stick in my top three. That guy's yeah, ridiculous. For sure. um, and obviously, Bryce Young's been amazing. Uh, Kenny Pickett is definitely on the radar, though, at least. Give him that. Um, I think that
0: they may be, I mean, Pitt finds ways to screw these things up, but they may be your ACC favorite at this point. This season has really delivered. It has been extremely entertaining. And now you look at next week's uh, schedule and you've got a top five game in Iowa City and you've got a Red River game that is now seems feels very interesting to me with what Bijan Robinson's doing, what Sark has seemingly remade Texas a little bit against an Oklahoma team that's been vulnerable. So uh, it's going to be another great week. We'll come back here later in the week for our second episode, and that's when we answer your emails. So send them to theaudiblepod at gmail.com, and we'll see you next time.